I had something kind of uh, life-shaking happen um, uh, right after uh, I was preaching this, this two weeks ago. Uh, on Tuesday um, evening, uh, I received a, a phone call from Alaska where my father is, um, and uh, it was the um, ER, and which honestly, I receive calls from the ER about my father about once every other month for the last three years. So uh, ever since I got power of attorney, my dad is a regular resident at the hospital there. So, you know, it wasn't anything unusual, but I, I, I picked up and uh, this time it was, it was different. Um, the doctor just said, your dad is in really bad shape and I know you have power of attorney. And I was, I was forced to make a decision that is like, I don't know, it's one of those things where you're like, I don't, know how comfortable I am with this decision, but they basically said, it says in your paperwork your dad doesn't want to be resuscitated if his heart stops, but it doesn't say anything about um, intubation. And, uh, and I don't think that you should do that. I think that, I think that he's really close to the end, and I, I think it, it actually would not, it wouldn't, it wouldn't improve his life. It would just extend it. Um, and um, we, but we need your permission to not intubate him. And, I'm, and it was really hard for me, but I, I, I agreed based upon everything the doctor was saying, and I, I knew that my dad was, was not doing well. Um, so I asked him how long I had, and they're like, well, you know, it's hard to say, but I mean, he could go very quickly or he could live for a few days. It's, um, and I just said, all right, well, I just want him to be comfortable. Um, and I will do all that I can to get there um, as fast as I can. So I literally got the phone at 6 p.m. I jumped on, <laughs> on uh, Alaska Airlines and booked a flight. The only flight that was available to Anchorage was in Seattle at 10.30 p.m. Um, so I booked the flight and then I drove like, like I literally sinned so hard. Um, I drove like 95 miles an hour all the way to Seattle. I somehow made it and didn't get pulled over and got there at, at like 9.30 and caught my flight to Anchorage. And then while I was flying, I had to book another flight from Anchorage to Kenai. Um, and I got to Kenai at six. It was so, it was, I mean, A, so surreal. I, you know, so much of my book is about my relationship with my dad. I've been processing my childhood and what was lacking and, and the, the, the mixture that I talk about all the time, the, the heartbreak of a father that chose uh, a lifestyle that actually brought about his early death. He was only 68 years old. Um, but, it, you know, he, ch he chose a life that, that led to a physical demise early, you know. Um, and to, to have to kind of wrestle through all those things, but at the same time, I love my dad. And, uh, and I've worked hard to restore that relationship and to be a reflection of grace to him and to and to even see my father, who I never thought there'd be a chance that he would come to any semblance of faith. And though that faith was unbelievably primitive, he was still, I found out once I got to the hospital that he had been asking the nurses out on dates, like literally up to like a couple weeks before, um, you know, as they're bathing him. So the man was surly. Um, but uh, <laughs> I go, did my dad ever ask you out? I'd ask like the nurse, and they're like, Oh yeah, he asked me out two weeks ago, um, and, and uh, but they were so sweet. They actually multiple nurses got teary because he was such a regular. It showed like what a powerful thing to be uh, to work in the hospital and being so close with Seth. And I'm in a book club with doctors. It's like that. Like we are going to do all that we can to keep you healthy and alive, uh, no matter how self-destructive a person. I was just I be forever grateful to the way that that hospital in Soldotna gave my, I mean, they could have just been like, we are over you, Alexander, but they treated him with dignity and they, they loved on him, honestly. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I get there at six and uh, 6.30, I'm by my dad's side and it was really, it, it was powerful because I, I walked in the room and it was quiet and he was, they'd cleaned them all up and uh, he, you know, was, his hair was super long and he, his beard was insane. It was like this white, and all I saw was my face looking at his face. And um, 
I just went over and I, I just put my hand on his chest and I just said, hey, Dad, I'm here. And, you know, they had him on morphine, but they had let it wear off a little bit. And he, and he was aware of my presence. And the moment he heard my voice, he just, like, he just started crying. And, uh, um, but he couldn't open his eyes and he couldn't talk. And so I just said, Dad, if you know I'm here, just go, you know, squeeze my hand. And he squeezed my hand so tight and tear up. And I talked to him for a while and I played him the song that I just wrote. And he, he cried and I asked him if he wanted to hear it again. He squeezed my hand twice, played it for him a couple times. And, and then I, I just said, I, you know, Dad, I can tell you're uncomfortable and I'm, I want you to be comfortable. And so I'm like, do you want them to give you a little pain relief? And he squeezed my hand, yes. And he was, you know, he, my dad was always very scared of dying. So they, they gave him a little pain relief. Well, literally by 4 p.m., um, I was sitting there talking to the nurse and the nurse said, hey, I think your dad's really close. So I'm going to leave the room. And um, I put on the song record that we released last year, What's Done is Done. Um, the last song um, is all about our relationship with our Heavenly Father and just that feeling of being this rebellious kid and worried sometimes that our Father doesn't love us because of our behavior. And, and But just the song is me allowing the scripture of God to speak over the truth of how he feels about us, which is that he loves us. And, uh, um, and it was a very appropriate song. And I put the song on and um, my dad opened his eyes. And uh, I stood over the top of him. Um, and I literally just looked into his eyes and he, and I had my hand on his face and 10 seconds, he just, he just cried. He didn't say anything, but he just looked straight into my eyes, and then he just took his last breath 10 seconds before the song was over, and my dad passed. Alexander White, uh, you know, seems appropriate to share with you guys that, you know, my dad does, all his family has passed, uh, and you probably have heard more about him than most people, you know? Um, but I, I've, I've thought a lot about this, and as I've been kind of bringing to you guys the paradoxes of the faith and even wrestling through, um, it's going to take me a while to unpack all that I feel around my father. I'm so grateful. What a gift uh, that I was able to be there with him. I mean, I mean, that's a, a really, it was a very powerful gift for me. I, I know that my dad needed me to be there. I literally think he waited for me. Um, but I think, like, I needed to be there. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I've been kind of blocked on the close of my book, and I felt like this actually needed to act, like, I, I know what I need to write now to finish it. Um, but I, 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 I was struck by something, um, and, and my dad waiting for me, and the, just the life that he lived in isolation, and the, the outworking of just, you know, my dad in his mind chose what he viewed was a life of independence. Um, in fact, the doctor was like saying to me, you know, you know, you know, your dad lived how he wanted to live. And in many ways that's true, but it isn't really true either because he would call me and he would be, the last time I talked to him uh, before this event, like he told me he was having an incredibly hard time. It's like he chose this independence, and yet the independence was the very thing that brought a lot of enslavement for him, a lot of bondage, a lot of isolation, and a lot of pain. Um, his stubbornness is un. I mean, I worked so hard to get him into a assisted living home, um, and he just, you know, he didn't want to be in a home where he couldn't smoke. It didn't matter if he caught his face on fire when he was using the oxygen machine at the same time. Like, my dad is like super tough that way. He's like, I don't, he bragged to me last time I talked to him that he was smoking three packs a day and still kicking. Um, and I was like, Dad, seriously, like, I don't know. But I, it's made me think a lot about this picture because it, when, it, when it came down to the close of things, as my dad was confronted with what we all will be confronted with. We'll be confronted with it with people we love. We will be confronted with it with ourselves. It has been appointed that, that for each person... There is a time in which we will die, and then the judgment is what we are told in Scripture. Um, and, and I think that this picture of 
my father's like all of a sudden death is there and he needs his boy by him his independence is it proven to not play out the way that he he thought it should and 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 in recognizing his need for me and his waiting for me there was I saw a man who lived with very little peace pass peacefully and the peacefulness didn't come through his independence it came through his dependence his need for the other um, you know we have to understand that as Christians that there is so much conversation and what I want to talk with you about the paradox I want to talk to you about today is that freedom comes through a state of dependence not independence America is built upon this independence uh, but the Christian life actually pushes against that ideology and says that real liberty is found through total surrender to the kingship of Jesus that we are not a part of a spiritual democracy but we are actually under it we are we are we are servants of a king and a part of his kingdom and under his rule but the good news is that Jesus says that if we come to him he will set us free but our freedom to him our freedom from him comes through our willing slavery to him and to his mission and that is so upside down and so paradoxical that it's hard for us to get our heads around um, but what we need to understand is that all of sin all of sin is driven or built upon our attempts to maintain independence from our Creator. And independence from our Creator is literally cutting ourselves off from the source of life. And you can't do it. You can't do it. Because everything we have, whether you will acknowledge Him or not, uh, it belongs to Him. This is why it says in Philippians that there will be a day when every knee shall bow before Jesus is Lord. It doesn't mean that everyone will be saved. Some believe that means that. But it does mean that everybody will be, will be forced to recognize reality as it is. And reality as it is, is that God is the creator of all and not to be confused with his creation. And yet his creation cannot exist without him. And so I think that this is um, something that I, I just, as I had the ability to, to walk through a season of life from my dad being spiritually dead to coming spiritually alive, but still, you know, so late in life and so so much damage done from his years of declaring his own independence that there was no turning that, you know, there's no turning that car around. Like his body, what, the damage had been done. He, you know, there, there's one of those passages that says, um, says that, you know, we will know them by their fruit. And Christians are often obsessed with, you know, trying to predict who's in and who's out who say, well, it says you'll know them by their fruit. Yeah, but I mean, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty broad statement. There's a lot of kind of fruit. And not all fruit's good fruit. I'll say that for sure. Uh, and, uh, and, and the other thing is, is that sometimes that fruit producing reality is like, it could be like a blip in, in time as we know it. The thief on the cross what was his fruit? It's there, but it's literally found in one single word. Remember. Remember me. Two words. Lord Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, assuredly, today you'll be with me in paradise. The only fruit in that man's life was just a simple request. Help me. Help me. And Jesus said, let it be so. That does not really sit well in our, 
in our um, deep desires to have very explicit, like this is how one gets saved, this is what we do, you, you know, you ask Jesus in your heart, you have to ask, there needs to be like legitimate repentance. I mean, I would say there was repentance. He said, we get, we're getting what we deserve. This man's innocent. And then he says, Jesus, remember me. Uh, there was very much as a Jesus is Lord, because he's, but he's, I mean, what was driving it? Was it just fear? Possibly. I don't really care what was driving it. All I know is Jesus accepted it. And it now goes down in history. He is the man who is known for producing the smallest amount of fruit in the Bible. And the fruit is Jesus' yes to his help. The state of dependence is the key to liberation. That man found liberation as he was nailed to a cross. There's nothing, there's, there's not much liberating about that other than out of the body and present with the Lord. It's death. And it's a terrifying thing to think that death might be the most freeing thing that we experience, actually, because it'll be the very means that ushers us into the fullness of life. But that is a terrifying thing, even for me, to stare into the eyes of what I would call the abyss of death, uh, is what I did with my father. And I'm not going to say it was a comfortable thing. Um, it was, a, it was um, disorienting at best. It was so weird. He's there, but he's not there. Um, he's gone. I just after he died, I didn't know what to do. I just sat in the room by myself and stared at him for like 30 minutes until I felt weird. And then I asked the nurses to come in, and they were just so sweet. They each came in and told, said, bye, old fella. We're going to miss you. One nurse came in, and she put her hand on his face, and she got teary, and she goes, I guess I'm never going to get that date you promised. <laughs> in her mind there wasn't a lot of fruit <laughs> or maybe the fruit was relief because she was like 25 <laughs> Jesus's words to his disciples in the upper room in John 16 um, I want to read this passage it's in verses 4 through 7 I'm not going to do slides today but these things I have told you that when the time comes you will remember that I told you of them and these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you, but now I go away to him who sent me. Jesus is telling his disciples that he is about to leave them as they know their relationship with him. It's about to change. Um, and they are, they are uh, in an incredible amount of distress over it. He says... But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. You know, the idea that is so prominent in our culture in our world is that there is no dependence that can be sure except a dependence upon oneself our bookstores are filled with books about believing in yourself that to 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 have our movies our tv shows you know it's where it's found almost the most intensely and it's the time of greatest indoctrination is is our tweens Every, I, I swear every middle reader book is about finding belief in oneself. Self-empowerment is the, is the word for the day. It's, the, it's the, the concept that God is within you. That you are the center of your universe. And I talk about this with you guys over and over again because we need, I need to remind myself of how false that that idea idea is and how damaging it is because Jesus says that whoever sins is a slave to sin sin by its very definition is a rebellion against God's rule it is the setting um, ourselves as the source of real freedom that I am liberated from 
all things. Uh, it was Jean-Paul Sartre, the, the great 20th century existentialist, um, who said, if I am free, or what do you say? Uh, God, um, if God exists, I am not free. God does not exist, therefore I am free. The recognition that God cannot exist if I'm to truly be free. That was the reality that this philosopher, he was right, actually. If God doesn't exist, he was free. Although scientists would maybe say, maybe not, because actually a godless reality can lead us very quickly back to a deterministic worldview. Um, but that's for another day, and I'm not really interested in unpacking that. But what I will say is that he recognized that if there is a God who created all things, that there is an allegiance that is immediately necessary. That in order to be truly free, we cannot be connected to anything other than our own will to power. And this is deeply problematic because Jesus here is telling his disciples that the very thing that they're going to need is a dependence upon another. They're going to need a helper. <laughs> and we don't like that. Because to say that we need a helper, that to say that we need help, um, is to say that we're not nearly as free as we think we are. That we're the, we're the worst enemies that we'll ever face. It's hard to admit that we need help. And I think that our belief that we're somehow autonomous creatures uh, is, and, and the, 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 this is a necessary belief if we're going to survive in the world in which we live, is proven to be heartbreaking for anyone who's truly given themselves to that attempt. I mean, you, you can believe that all you want when you're teens, but you just have to live a little bit to realize that it just doesn't play out. There's so much in our lives that we have so little control over. So little control over. We don't control people living or dying around us. We have no control over where we're born or the free. I mean, there's, there's so much that was determined. You don't have control over your IQ, which is why I don't take the test, so that I can believe the lie that I'm smart. <laughs> Someone's like, well, have you ever taken an IQ test? I'm like, no, because it'll tell me something that I don't want to believe about myself. Um, and uh, because we want to believe that we are freer than we actually are. And this is a really hard thing because there's constantly battles around the concept of free will. And uh, in, even within Christian circles, there are, there are those that hold to a very God's providence means that everything is determined. Um, that there is very little freedom. Whatever freedom we have is just to perceive freedom and that's good enough. But in actuality, there's nothing that we do that God hasn't already dictated or determined in the secret decrees. But the problem with, with that is that all of a sudden now you're making God responsible for you being kind of lame. I don't want to make God responsible for the lame things that I do. I definitely am not comfortable making him responsible for sin, uh, which we are told that in him is no darkness at all. What if God actually determined to give us limited freedom and that limited freedom we have utilized to rebel against his rule? The freedom that he gave to us is a freedom to do what is right, but we, by nature, due to sin, do what we ought not to do. That's why Jesus says, whoever the Son of Man sets free shall be free indeed. But the freedom that Jesus gives to us as his children is the freedom to live in total dependence upon him. That's where the power is. And that's exactly where he is taking his disciples in this message. And this is where I want us to go as a church, as I deal with the loss of my own father. That's a massive event. Is that I am struck by a man who modeled for me in many ways the false ideology that we can be whoever we want to be without any concern for others and, and live free from the consequences of those kind of decisions. The fact is, is that my dad did find 
restoration with his son. We had relationship, but not the relationship that we could have had. The fact is, is that my dad did actually pray to receive Jesus, but he chose his own path for so long that the, 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 the immovable forces of cause and effect put into motion there is sin that leads to death. It doesn't necessarily mean eternal damnation, but there was so much independence in that man's life that by the time he met Jesus, his body, the, the, the story was over in this life. Uh, there was only the waiting to die. You ever heard that Towns Van, Van Zant song, Waiting Around to Die? It's the first song he wrote after he got married which his wife said is really depressing. <laughs> and realized that's a good way to doom your marriage. Uh, gentlemen, never write a song right after you get married waiting around to die. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's kind of true. My father lived that reality out. There was just a waiting game. It doesn't mean that he isn't saved, but it meant that he had put into motion so many things that brought enslavement. He was a slave to his body. He couldn't walk anymore. He died of COPD. He couldn't breathe. He had heart all of these because he lived how he wanted to live. That's the thing is that the freedom that the world presents to us actually enslaves us and ultimately kills us. And this is why Jesus is turning his disciples' eyes to the means of real freedom. And it is a total state of dependence upon the very spirit of God within us. I want Door of Hope to experience a liberation that it's never experienced before. And I believe it's the liberation of being a truly spirit-filled community that gathers around the person of Jesus Christ. Intimacy with him. To say, I am not content alone. I refuse the lie of the world to say, I'm going to be independent no, I'm going to live in a state of total dependence upon the God who alone can actually set me free because he's the only one who actually is free. This is what Jesus says is going to happen when the Spirit comes. And when he comes to you, he actually says when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, why don't you listen to these? Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and see you no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. When we hear this passage, when we hear Jesus say, I'm going to my Father, I'm going to send to you another helper. And when that helper comes, when the Spirit of truth comes into the world, it sounds like, he's, like the Spirit's going to be ripping around the world, making people feel bad. It's going to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. If you were just to take those three words by themselves right there, you would think, and sadly, this is how the church has acted throughout much of its history, is that, that the church's responsibility is to make people feel the depth of their own depravity, to bring fear and trembling to them with the coming judgment, and to present to them a righteousness that they cannot achieve. But that's not what Jesus says. What does he say? Of sin, notice this. He says, he says of sin, because they do not believe in me. The church presents the world Jesus. And the sin that, that God is trying to bring us out of is the sin of unbelief. He says, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. That The church is not here to give people ladders to climb. But when the Spirit is in control of the community, it presents to them the righteousness of Christ that is available to anyone, like the thief on the cross that says, help me. And then he says, of judgment, no, not you are judged. You are being judged, no, it's judgment that has already come to pass because the ruler of this world is judged. That the lie of the enemy 
and the hold that he has on this world has been dealt with on the cross of Calvary. The threefold effect of the world, I believe, when the church is under the control of the Holy Spirit, is the greatest liberating act that God can accomplish today. When we think of the word conviction, we need to understand that it actually can be just as easily translated as convince. And I think that this is a question that we have to ask ourselves. And I, I, I asked myself, as I was confronted with my father passing, I, was, I'm, I asked that, Lord, how much time, how, how often is my life not actually that compelling when it comes to my communication of your beauty and your goodness? Am I convincing to a lost world that Jesus is everything that he said he is? Do people recognize in me something that they are missing in their own lives? Is there a legitimate intimacy? And, and it's, not, it's not an avoidance of pain and suffering. In fact, I, I would argue that that's one of the key things that I'm, I'm dealing with in my book that's made the book hard is that, that honest dependence upon Jesus allows Jesus to actually take us into the brokenness of our lives and our stories and our histories to discover that actually grace was also always there, always at play, always working. That God, yes, permits things, and that's a mystery. And his permitting us to go through hard things is a mystery. But my fundamental conviction that the cross of Calvary is the only thing that makes that okay because it reminds me that, yes, Jesus may permit things into my life, but I can trust him. I don't have to believe the lie that I must take my own life into my own hands and I must be the ruler of my own destiny. Because when I was doing that, all I found myself was miserable. But when I believe, yes, Jesus allows suffering, but he understands it, he has entered into it, he has addressed it, and now he has the power to use it. That is compelling to me. When the world looks to the church, it's not looking for us to pretend we have it all together. What the world is looking to is to see if we are truly experiencing something from this Jesus that we like to talk about. And that is a powerful thing. When he has come to you, is I think a way that we should think of this verse. The spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus said that to them earlier in the upper room discourse. And what he was saying is, I have been with you. My spirit is going to be with you. When I go to the Father, I will send to you the spirit. What you have seen me do before you is a total yieldedness to the will of the Father, total dependence upon the Father, which allowed the Spirit to fully manifest in and through my life. What the world saw in Jesus was Spirit-filled humanity. And that Spirit-filled humanity was the ability to maintain joy in the midst of great suffering. Is even... I'm writing this, my book's all on the statements from the cross. It's amazing to me how all of the Gospels, they never downplay the suffering of Jesus, but they also never show Jesus ever in a way that seems out of control. I mean, if we were to experience the kind of suffering that he experienced, just the physical side, not, not even taking into consideration the spiritual side, it still presents Jesus as one who is never weak. It almost seems like he is the one actually controlling the narrative. His ability to communicate the things that need to be communicated. He fully acknowledges the pain and the suffering. He is in agony for sure, but he still maintains this internal peace, even in the midst of the absolute darkest moment in world history, when all of the sin of humanity and the, and the, the forces of evil come upon Jesus in such a way that the whole land is darkened. I mean, you think about it, 
And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even in that moment, he said, I only speak those things which please the Father. I would argue that he only spoke when the Spirit gave him words to say that, that it is almost more of a question. Why did you forsake me? The silence that controlled suffering in which he endured and took to the end of, of all things, the independence of our lives he took into himself so fully that he could set us free from the lie that we were ever independent. And we could find real freedom through our total dependence upon him. We don't sit back and watch the spirit convict the world of these things. We need to understand that the way that the spirit does that is through yielded men and women, boys and girls who have given their lives to Christ. The Spirit convinces the world of Jesus through the church, through us. And that's why it's not an option for us to be a Spirit-filled community. We must be a Spirit-filled community. And if Jesus is your Savior, you have received the Spirit of truth. But it's amazing to me how often we are not aware of the Spirit's presence in our lives because we allow the voices of this world and the lies of this world to be a far more domineering influence upon us than the Spirit of Jesus. And so we ask the question, then, well, what is the Spirit wanting to do through us? The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. Why? What does it say? Because they do not believe in me. The fact of humanity's unbelief. The fundamental issue of life is Jesus and our belief in him. This is why the most important question that we must ask ourselves is, what do you think of Jesus? What do you think of Jesus? The only sin that can separate a person from God is to reject the only, the only cure for this thing called sin. And think about it. If Jesus is the cure, it's like if you went to the, you find out you have a terminal disease and there's a cure for it. And I'm the doctor and I say, yes, I can heal you. You have to take this. And you're like, I don't want that. But it's a cure. Well, if you don't believe it's the cure, you may not be willing to take it. I mean, look at, look at the, the ways that we've raged in our country over vaccinations. I mean, we are reluctant to believe what people tell us. That's part of the nature of being a people that pride themselves on their what? Independence. Nobody's going to tell me what to do, what to put in my body. Well, let me just tell you, I don't care what you think about the vaccination, fine. This is, I just use that as an illustration. But when it comes to spiritual realities, when it comes to eternal destinies, I am quite comfortable saying there is only one way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then you'll say, well, what about those who have never heard of Jesus? I trust the character of God as revealed in Jesus. He is the light of the world. I believe that Humanity will be judged based upon the light that was available to them. I don't care about those that haven't heard. I do care about them. What I care about right now is you who have heard of him. And the question is, if you've heard of him, but you don't know what you think of him yet, that's a supreme question that one must answer. It's a supreme question I posed to my father three years ago. And he said, I just, I, I've come to the conclusion that he is the savior of the world, but I don't think I can surrender to him. And I was amazed that my dad could even use that language. And I said, Dad, what do you think you have to surrender? And he was this, his will. He wasn't ready. And then Frank, the hospital chaplain, got Dad really thinking and Dad surrendered. And then he was worried it didn't stick. Because just like all of us, my father is the perfect example of the reality of our own doubts around the idea that someone can save us if we don't do anything. It's really difficult for us to get our heads around this idea that, wait a minute, you're, you're just saying I just have to say yes to him and no to me. <laughs> you're like, yes. You're like, well, what do I have to do? I just told you what you have to do. You have to recognize that you can't do anything. And you have to, that doesn't make any sense. It's too easy. 
so easy that you won't do it. It's actually the hardest thing ever. That step of faith. I actually believe one of the things that kept me from crossing that threshold for a long time was the fear that I believed it to be real, but I wasn't willing to put my faith in Jesus because I was worried that it wouldn't be true and then I would have nothing else to fall back on. How's that for a weird mental game? I think it might be true. I'm going to leave that one till the end because if I take that step now, I play that hand now, and then it turns out to not be true, then I'm going to be really, really having some serious existential dread. And it was like I kind of played this mental game. I'm like, I'm afraid that if I put my faith in Jesus, nothing will change. And therefore, I don't want to take that chance because I, I need to have at least the unknown options out there for me. That is spoken like a true ADD guy, just by the way. We were afraid of ever making decisions. It's what, what we call the agony of the act. <laughs> um, I, I, I get it. No, the fundamental issue of life is belief in him. The spirit, when we are spirit-filled, that is, we have cast our dependence upon him. What the spirit does through us then is convicts the world of its own unbelief because they see in us a vitality in our belief. Our yieldedness to Jesus brings a joy that is an undeniable force. The people that I have met with the deepest faith have been the most compelling human beings I have met. That's how Luis Palau was for me. A man whose faith was tested through his entire life. And, he, and the longer he walked with Jesus, the more grounded that belief. It wasn't even a question for him. I never met someone that actually weeps over the lost. Weeps over them. And loved people so full and just had the ability to love anyone. Anyone he met. He just loved them. And, and, and you could just tell when he talked to you, you just, you, you felt like you mattered. Because he lived with this incredible belief, a dependence upon Jesus. And it convicted people that he came in contact with of their own unbelief. It created a lot, it convinced them that they needed belief. Think of conviction, we think of conviction negatively. Think of it in terms of convincing. Our life becomes convincing. You know that, that sense of the, the, the deep desire in our culture for authenticity. We should be the most authentic and often that is the thing that's the least real about us is that we're, we're trying to convince people of something that we don't even believe. And that is deeply troubling. Unbelief is the root of all sin. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. That's what the scripture declares. Unbelief focuses our hearts on that which is dead. It refuses Christ as a center. Secondly, it says the Holy Spirit convicts the world of righteousness. But this is interesting. Because I go to the Father, the fact of the ascension, the fact, the fact of resurrection and ascension is the, the convincing that righteousness is not to be achieved in our own efforts. That's ladder climbing. What does his departure have to do with, with righteousness? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage they go away. He is our high priest. He is our bridge builder. He is our advocate. He himself is our righteousness. He is our peace. It doesn't mean that we aren't to do right things. But our doing right things is not what saves us. It's the righteousness of the king actually in us over us. Remember I said a few weeks ago about, about cowboys. It, they don't have to necessarily be a great shot or perfect dressers or great horseback riders to be cowboys. They just have to be those people that wear their hat no matter how bad it is, have their gun no matter how bad a shot they are, and always get back on the saddle. That's the reality. That's Christians as well. It's not the quality of how you live as a Christian. It is your identity. Is Christ your identity? And if he's your identity, it will shape how you live. But that is the crucial question, the identity piece. I am identified with Christ. The thief on the cross, he identifies himself. He cast 
himself in dependence upon the one who he sees as the key to, he had a sense that life was not going to be over when he died, <laughs> or he wouldn't have asked Jesus to remember him. Uh, he didn't think Jesus was getting off the cross either, so don't confuse the question. He's saying, I think that this is not the end, and I don't really like where I'm headed. Let's just throw, throw it in there. Will you save me? Perfect answer. The thief on the cross is such a perfect answer. There's nothing, even, even if he wanted to do something for Jesus, he couldn't do anything. All he could do is trust him. It's the ultimate picture of salvation by faith alone. What does his departure have to do with righteousness? It is the reminder that everything that needs to be done has been done in Christ. And that offends our sensibilities. Finally, convincing the world of judgment. He says, because the ruler of this world has been judged. This is not the spirit coming in and making you feel bad about your sin. It's not about me as a preacher beating you up. Not that we don't talk about sin. Sin is important. In fact, it is difficult to understand the essence of grace. I would say impossible, actually, if we don't understand that we are fully incapable of saving ourselves. But it doesn't take much to convince people of sin. We feel it all around us. We feel it in ourselves. We feel the frustration of human existence. We feel the threat of non-being. As I just finished reading Tillich's The Courage to Be, uh, there, there, we feel that, that reality. But, but we're not, as a church, called to go around and make people feel bad for the little thing. We focus on the outworking of sin. Sin is a rebellion against God's rule. We focus on the little things we do wrong and uh, the things that we ourselves would never do uh, while ignoring the things that we do all the time that is also an affront to God's heart, which is judge people. Uh, no, the conviction of, of, of judgment is a conviction that Jesus has brought final judgment to sin and to the devil on the cross of Calvary when he proclaim those powerful words, it is finished. What the church is to declare is the victory of Jesus. The spirit-filled community, a people that live in total dependence upon Christ, are a people that will witness to the world that Jesus has won. That he has, that he has conquered the things that break our hearts and we can find liberation and freedom and peace when we trust in him who is our victor. The beauty is that this is a judgment past, not to come. It's not that there isn't a final judgment. There is. But that is simply the separation of those who continue to say no to the only cure and those who said yes to that cure. It's not about the little things we do right and wrong anymore. Jesus has dealt with sin once and for all. Unlike the Levitical priesthood, we're told that Jesus is the final priest and the final sacrifice. He is both the judge and the judged on our behalf. And this is why the gospel is good news. We are called to stand in the victory of Jesus as the church triumphant and miserable. <laughs> Wherever this gospel is declared, we tear down the strongholds of our defeated foe. So I just ask you in closing, guys, are we a church that is experiencing real freedom? The freedom that Christ desires for us is, is not... He doesn't want us. It, it breaks God's heart to see, see his kids be rebellious to continue to go back to things that he's already dealt with. When we allow forgiven sins to continue to wreak havoc in our lives, what, how must grieve the spirit who comes to bring freedom to us that we choose slavery and he's like, but I already saved you. I don't understand. Like, what, why are you doing this? And, and we can make a mess of our lives and we can put into effect, like my father, things that actually bring 
literal death to our bodies. Or we could actually enjoy heaven on the way to heaven. Because heaven, what makes heaven heaven is Jesus' presence there. And I believe we have the ability to experience his presence now as we go to experience his presence in fullness. That fullness that awaits us when sin is no longer a part of the story any longer. Yes, we live in a broken world and yes, we will suffer. And yes, we will lose people we love. But nothing brings suffering like a refusal to surrender. Surrender to Jesus and discover what real freedom is. And I know it's paradoxical, but when we surrender as a church to the Spirit's work, the Spirit will bring freedom to the people in our lives, around our lives, because we are witnesses of that freedom, but we can't offer to the world the freedom that we ourselves aren't experiencing. It just doesn't work that way. So I just want you to know, Jesus loves you. And you guys, I feel loved by you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for just all of you who've reached out. And uh, I've been overwhelmed, emotionally overwhelmed. And it's been hard to, um, I didn't even come into work this week because it's, it's too much for me to, you, you only talk about this so much. Um, but I do feel loved. And I do feel the freedom that comes from the gospel. And I feel confident that my father experienced that freedom, no matter how primitive it was, and it was primitive. I mean, he is the guy that said, is it okay if I call God the big fella? Um, but honestly, it's that kind of raw, childlike faith that I think Jesus could use a lot more of in his church. Um, so may we trust in him and find real freedom through a state of dependence, not independence. Amen. Hey friends, this is Russ Lacey, one of the pastors here at Door of Hope Southeast. Thanks for listening to this teaching. We always want to encourage you to give to your local church and would never want to supplant that. But if you're a regular listener and would like to help our church as we seek to point people to Jesus and minister here in the city of Portland, we'd welcome your prayers and financial support. Just head over to dooroftheopedx.org and click Give from the menu bar. May God bless you.